Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 99 of Freight 360. Go Team USA. We are in the uh, Olympics. Ben, how's it going today? Going well. Rainy How's day. How's the weather? Rainy day. Well, it's raining for the next 15 minutes. Then it'll be very sunny and then it'll rain for another 20 minutes. We had some we had some nasty rain here this week in, in Western New York. And oh, by the way, that was a way of me doing some small talk to start off the episode here, which is going to be our episode today, all about using small talk to win more customers and close more deals. So, uh, but anyway, hey, if you're a first time listener, welcome to Freight 360. If you are been with us for a while. Welcome back. Make sure to leave us that review on iTunes. We're getting good rankings here. Share us with all your friends in the industry. And we got a great episode. We got one more until we become 100 years old, or I guess 100 episodes old, which will be next week with Trey. I'm excited for that one. But uh, but yeah, it's been it's been hot. We're in the peak of summer here. And um, I'm glad to be back from from Virginia. I'm, you know, it's in the mid 70s here in Buffalo and not, you know, 100 degrees. So good stuff. Always nice. I'm digging that shirt you got on. <laughs> it's my Rainforest Cafe shirt. We have a like we have a um, taste of Orchard Park tonight, so I figure I get a little summary to go walk around and see what kind of good food and stuff they got. It's like Quaker Week in my town, so every every day is something different. That's cool. So, yeah, man. So, but hey, it's the Olympics right now. We're we're about a week into the Olympics. The opening ceremonies were last Friday. The medal count, the U.S. is in the lead. Uh, not as far as gold medals. They're one or two behind last I checked, but they, they have a pretty strong lead on the total medal count. It's also the second largest Olympic team in, in history that the U.S. has. It's like 400 and some athletes. Um, but big news, Simone Biles, the, the goat of gymnastics in the middle of one of the like uh, team, team events. Team events, yeah. Yeah, she uh, sounds like, the pressure got to her and she just wasn't in the right mindset and decided to take a couple, couple of days off and, you know, try to recharge the batteries before she goes out there and potentially hops in some more events. So man, it's been, it's crazy. You know, no one saw that one coming, but. Um, well, and then didn't also, there was I I don't say it was similar, but the articles I was reading this week were the tennis phenom out of Japan, Osaka. can't remember her last name. Also, I think did pretty poorly citing mental, um, I guess, anguish and just not having the right mindset kind of going into it. See, I was never a professional athlete, so I I never had to worry about that. I was always like the gym class hero. I just went out there, gave them all. And uh, if I sucked, I sucked. So, um, oh, this is funny. So the, the men's triathlon, this was like one of the first, first couple days. So, you know, you like, it's you swim and then you bike and then you run. Mm-hmm. And, um, it starts off with the swim. They all line up on this dock and then they, they like, you know, they ring the buzzer or whatever, and everyone jumps in the water and starts going. So the person in charge of starting like the buzzer, like the start buzzer did it too early. And there was a giant boat that blocked half the swimmers. So wow. the other half jumped in the water, started going. It took like a couple of minutes before did they, they restart. He's out, pull everyone back in and restart it. But it's like, Think about how much energy these guys exerted in the first couple of minutes of that swim. 
And then they got to go back up there. They had like two minutes to like catch their breath and then do it again. And you know what? I was just reading some articles on that. I mean, I read a lot, a lot of performance coaching stuff. And like, there is a lot of research on that alone, on starts, on how much energy is expended and why conserving energy at that period is like really big strategically in how you finish. Um, yep. Even in long races, like a triathlon, that's... Yep. So I think it was like a condensed one. I mean, I don't know how they work, but it was like mm -hmm. a just under a mile swim. Um, the bike was like 25 miles and like a 6K run or a six mile run. So I think it was 1.5K swim, like 40K bike and 10K run. They did it in like an hour 45. So still. That's nuts though. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's the Olympics. There's some golf starting up right around now. I know uh, you said you didn't get a, whole, a chance to check it out too much, but um, a lot of familiar names from the U.S. that I saw in there. Um, it was the young kid, something Cameron. Um, or no, can't. What the heck's his name? Cameron Champ. Cameron, what's his last name? Champ. Cameron Champ. Mm -hmm. Oh. I was thinking it was, oh no, it's Cameron Smith and he's an, on the Aussie team. Oh, okay. Uh, I always forget he's Australian. Um, but yeah, I always forget. You see all these guys that play, you know, they play in the, the tour and they're and you from think they're US all over not. the place. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Good stuff, man. Well, that's the Olympics. Um, that's sports for now. I can't wait to get back into football talk in the next come. Oh, speaking of football, Aaron Rodgers showed up to Lambeau Field and um, apparently he's He's going to be a Packer again this year. I don't know. They showed him going to the trade facility huh? with his man bun and his long hair and flip flop. He looks like he was, looked like he was going to a fish concert. <laughs> hilarious. Uh, but That's he also fantastic. just recently turned down. Apparently it was last year. They announced it recently, though. He turned down what would have, what would have been the, a contract making him the highest paid NFL uh, quarterback, if not player, I think it was. So, but wow. Yeah. All right. So before we get into the topic here, let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Make sure to check out the notes in the show notes for a link to Trucker's Edge, Express, and Power. Free month. Yep. DAT Power. That's my go-to. It's my go-to. Uh, well, cool, man. So today we're going to talk about small talk. And let's, let's just start it off this way. What, you know, what is it about this topic that made you want to have an episode on it, Ben? I wanted to cover this is because I've been for years now, trying to come up with a systematic approach to teach people how to approach prospecting um, because scripts don't work. They don't work. And we'll cover that today, why they don't work in a lot of cases and why they can be difficult. And this is probably one of the things that we get the most feedback from people asking us is, what do I say when I call? What do I say to leads? What do I do? What do we talk about? Like, do I talk enough? And I found a really great article on this. So we can put the entire article up in the show notes as well. But it really talks about what effective small talk is. I want to interject really quick because our philosophy on this is different than what other sales coaches may tell you. So, for example, the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, right? 
His whole straight line selling solution is all about scripts and avoiding small talk at all costs. So we're almost on the opposite side of him, but hey, we're not in jail. He went to jail. So, <laughs> so there's that. Anyway, but yeah, so and to be is, honest, this is our perspective on it. I, I'm not opposed to scripts in different settings and in sales. And I absolutely do write notes for myself. I will use a teleprompter. I think a script is your most highest level of communication. But the reality is, is you have to talk to so many different people in various positions in this job that like what you would say to somebody at a midsize shipper is vastly different than what you might say in a procurement department. And what you might say to a small carrier is very different than what you would say to a larger company because our industry spans just so many different types of companies and sizes. And this is the skill that when I listen to the people we coach and that I've worked with are just absolutely the best at. And they just always rise to the top in any company they're working at. And this is not something that you're going to perfect overnight because there's a level of awkwardness that goes with certain people that cannot carry on small talk or just kind of carry on a casual conversation. That's why people are like, what should I say? What should my script Mm -hmm. be? Because they, you know, they have that level of awkwardness still. And it's something that you, it takes time. It's like any kind of muscle, you've got to work it to strengthen it. And, you know, we'll get into it. We're going to get into it here. And then we can talk about some, some ways to practice it. Exactly. So, you know, I'm kind of jump right into it. Like a lot of people and you're right, Nate, they hate small talk, which is understandable because a lot of small talk is absolutely boring. Right. But that's because most people don't understand what small talk is for. It isn't the conversation. It's the opener for a better conversation. It's a way to get comfortable with one another And it allows you to cast around something back and forth before you land on what you're actually going to talk about, right? So when somebody asks you, Nate, like, hey, what do you do? What most people fail to understand is the question they're really asking isn't, what is your profession? What they're saying is, what should you and I talk about, right? You mentioned the weather earlier, right? Talking about the weather seems like it's a super uncreative way of starting a conversation, right? But It really isn't because weather speak might actually just be a form of code that's evolved over decades that helps overcome our natural reservations to actually talk to each other because the weather sure as hell isn't the point. Familiarity, connection, and reassurance are. And And once those are in place, you can have a conversation. Yeah. And I want to add something in there is weather is something that everybody experiences no matter where they're located. So we yep. all have that in common. So it's if a I ask commonality, you, whereas like if I ask you like, hey, what'd you think about the game last night? You may not watch the same sports or the same team as I do, but guess what? We all have weather no matter where we live. So it's kind of a go-to guaranteed or yep. like during the pandemic, right? You could always ask people about, hey, how's it been with you guys with the shutdowns and COVID? You know what I mean? Exactly. And we talked about that last year is a great way to open it because it allows you to find that commonality, that common ground. That's why weather is so uncommon. That's why, honestly, if you look in the load boards and DAT and in truck stop, they usually tell you what the weather is on the other end with the carrier <laughs> or the person you're talking to on the other end of that lane. That's why it's there. That's funny. One of my one of the other things that I thought was really great about this article is they said um, there's a quote. It says, everyone is interesting. But it's not up to them to show you why they're interesting. It's up to you to discover what's interesting about that other person. And I think that's 
really what small talk is, right? It's finding the commonality. It's finding something where we can both get a little comfortable with each other and then trying to uncover what it is that is interesting or that you really want to talk about, right? Yeah, I, I absolutely love the just the concept of breaking the ice of the conversation. It softens everything. Whereas it, you know, where it's very rigid, hey, I don't know you, you don't know me, you can establish a little bit of level of comfort and some rapport. It just, it, man, it does, it works wonders. And here's some of the rhythm, right? Some of the conversations that anybody that's been in freight broker more than a day has run into, right? It's the script that you get stuck in, the, the habits of having this conversation. What do you need? I've got some trucks. How do I get set up? And the person goes, oh, we're good. Or we're LTL or, you know, we're FOB. FOB we're- destination. Yeah. It's the same thing. And then we fall into these habits, right? But the same thing, like you said, practicing this, when you think about small talk, it happens in day-to-day interactions, right? Like when you go up to buy something at a grocery store or at a convenience store, they say, how are you? And what does everybody say? Good. How are you? How are you? Right? Yep. And it's not always true. (laughs) It's almost never true, but people say that anyway, even when they're visibly angry or disturbed, right? Yeah. What's up? Not much. How about you? You know, what's funny is, have you ever, have you ever been having like a mediocre or bad day and someone's like, how you doing? You're like, honestly, terrible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's funny. Like when I was reading this article, I used to do that honestly. And I thought about this too. And I was reading this, like, where did I really develop this skill? Like for me and same as you, I think we're more naturally outgoing. So like I, it doesn't bother me like the social cues where like people feel awkward. Like that's just never been a thing. But where I really honed this skill was honestly was like a 20 something in college bar hopping, just sitting down next to people over and over again and just starting a conversation. Right. Yeah. There's a, it's funny you mentioned that because I thought I was thinking about this earlier before the show. There's a, um, there's a bar in New York city and I, was it McSorley's? Anyone who's listening that's been there will know. It's like one of the oldest, I think it's the oldest bar in New York City. And it's, they say like Abe Lincoln is drinking beer there. But their concept is, because obviously it's a big, New York City is a big melting pot of tourists. When you walk in, they will sit you at a table with another group and they'll have like up to eight people at a table. So I've gone there with a buddy or two before, been sat down and we're with people from Poland or mm-hmm. Russia or, you know, Ireland, whatever. And it's just constant, like ridiculous little small talk. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, where are you guys from? What's it like? Blah, blah, blah. And um, so anyway, back to the whole bar hopping thing, that's, you know, and again, if you weren't someone or if you're not someone that drinks or doesn't go to bars or you didn't do that in college, that's fine. You can apply the same concept to a ton of other, you know, applications. It's not just having to be at a bar. It is right. And then some, some helpful ways to kind of break those habits or those rhythms that we all fall into. Right is for instance, like, Hey, next time you're at a convenience store and you're practicing this, or you're picking up a pizza and somebody says, can I help you? You can respond with something that they're not going to expect. Right. I don't know. Can I help you? Or instead of, you know, asking people to party, what they do, ask them, Hey, what would you like to do more of? Or, Hey, is there anything that you don't particularly like doing? Like just the fact that those aren't commonly asked questions like when I ask you that, like what comes to your mind when I say, which anything, question? I'll go with the second one. Is there anything you'd like to be doing more of lately, Nate? Um, yeah, a ton of things, man. And I feel like I could tell you for an hour, I could tell you I want to travel more, although I've been doing a lot of that lately. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, 
go, I don't know, watching sports, going to going to Bill's games that aren't on yet. But any single one of those things, right, breaks the monotony. It breaks the normal pattern we're in of, hey, what do you do? Oh, you know, I'm in logistics. It actually what makes do you me do? think and give a, yes. a non like a non muscle memory answer. Exactly. It literally breaks that script. It breaks that rhythm that we all fall into. Right. Some so I think. One. And one of the things I want to say about this is, and I use this a lot of times if I, you know, I'll talk to somebody that's in a different part of the country, right? Um, do a little research, find out, you know, where they're at, what's going on there. And this, this same thing applies if you're calling a certain shipper in an industry. You can ask those questions that will actually peak or will uh, peak interest in having a conversation about it, right? You'll be able yep. to pull information out of them. And it can be small talk, but a lot of the stuff they may reveal in that small talk is actually helping you qualify that prospect. Exactly. So. Well, here's another one, right? Has your day lived up to your expectations so far? And again, you don't have to, you know, you can put these in your own words. You know what I right. mean? Like I, I could tell you that I, I might ask that differently than you would ask that, which is maybe different than, than the way the article lists it. So find your own voice in this stuff. Otherwise you're just being scripted. But your whole point, right, is what's what's the common trait of these things is that they all require a certain measure of confidence to kind of pull off but they work. And when they do, like you said, they reveal a little nugget about what it's like to be that person. I know you like to travel. I know you're a Bills fan. I know you're anxiously awaiting the start of the football season. I could go in a dozen different directions just off those two things, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that we're, we're kind of trying to point out is these are things that you should start practicing. Another guy I listen to a ton of is Tim Ferriss. And he used to do this thing where he would suggest people go and talk to like five strangers every week to practice this. Just randomly try to take a conversation in a different direction and literally just start engaging in conversations rather than being in the elevator and just standing there waiting to your floor. Try these. Try to reach out. Try to push through that awkwardness that you feel. Have you ever watched Impractical Jokers? I have actually. Mm -hmm. They do a great, it's it's obviously a comedy TV show, but they do a great job at putting each other on the spot Hey, you're going to go up to this person and, and on the spot and their, you know, their headphone and their earphone, it's like, tell this person this and they have to do it. And it's pretty funny, mm-hmm. but, um, it, you know, there's people out there that will talk to a stranger and have a conversation. And sometimes it like, it's impressive how willing people are just to communicate with others in the world. You know what I mean? Yep. So like that, you know, like your convenience store example, I do this every time I go to a convenience store. I'm like, Hey, how, you know, how's the day going? How's your day going? Yep. And they're like, Oh, fine. I'll be like, Oh, how long you been working? Like you've been here long enough. And they're like, Oh, I just got here. Like, ah, oh, well, still has, still has a chance to suck, I guess. Or something like, you know, make a little joke about it. Yeah. So brain someone's day. Like yeah. now let me ask you this, Nate, after you've gotten some of that commonality, what is the next thing that you typically do? In what setting? The convenience store? Or are we talking work? So now we'll go back to prospecting, right? So you've got some commonality. You've opened the conversation. You, you, you got your feet underneath you. What do you start doing then typically? I mean, I personally, I typically let them, if it's a work call, I usually let them know generally the reason why I'm reaching out to them. Right. Or we start asking questions, right? We start going right in and especially people that are new to this start really just loading up right here. Hey, how many full truckloads you ship this week? Are you guys using brokers? When do you tender your loads? Um, do you have any fallouts today? How's your carrier, right? It's like an interview. And the thing is, research shows that asking a lot of questions might actually not be the best way to respond. 
Because think about it. When I ask you a question, what am I also? I'm, I'm also like demanding you respond or I'm yeah. putting you on the spot. And does that make you feel comfortable? No, I mean, I don't think anyone wants to feel like they're being interrogated. Yep. And it can come across that way for sure. Like if I ever get one of those like cliche cheesy sales calls and I start detecting the interrogation, I interrupt them and I'm like, Hey, like, I don't have a lot of time. What's, what is this about? You know, you know, whatever. So, because I, I get uncomfortable and I get, they basically don't, it went from, you know, if they even had small talk, I went from comfortable small talk to like uncomfortable interrogation. So you got to tread lightly there in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Because a question it compels an answer, right? One of the other ways is you can use a statement instead because a statement leaves it up to you in this case, right? To decide whether or not you want to answer or not. It's not a demand. It's an offer. Like I've noticed something about either our shared surroundings, if we're in in person, right? Like in your instance, you asked them like, hey, like how long have you been here? You're pointing out what you can both clearly see. But on the phone, you don't necessarily have that. So you can just respond with a statement like to your example, I'm in a prospecting call and you say, yeah, it's been a really tough day. I've been getting beat up by carriers all day. And, you know, it's just hectic over here. One of the best ways to respond is to not ask them maybe how hectic it is, but to just make a statement, right? Like, yeah, you know what? Like I'll always use third party stories in these scenarios like you know what? I was talking to, to Jimmy over at my other customer, actually, just before I talked to you. And he said, it has been absolutely just chaos all morning. You guys been running into the same thing, right? Like you make a statement, you can respond if you want, but you don't necessarily have to. It's a good point. I like that. Yeah. Definitely avoiding the interrogation or like, you know, rapid fire question thing is, is huge. Um, I was thinking back. So a lot of like a lot of my calls and this goes back to something that we've said, you know, many, many times in the past is it is sort of like a, a level of active listening, but listening in general is huge, right? Like you, you need to be spending more time letting them talk than just rapid fire asking questions. And if they're, if don't cut them off, if they're in the middle of answering a question, you know what I mean? Just exactly. Let them talk. And that's exactly where we're going to move to next, right? The flip side of the coin of question asking is listening, right? And when people start talking, like that's how you show you're engaged. If you're in person, make eye contact. That genuinely shows you're engaged. Everyone knows this, right? But we're not always very good at showing it. And two effective techniques to signal engagement is also paraphrasing what people have just said. So when somebody might say something like, hey, it seems like you're saying or echoing it, right? Which is just occasionally repeating things that the person you're talking to has just said, right? Which honestly are both commonly used and by therapists and hostage negotiators to foster connection and build trust. I'm not really adding anything. I'm basically just insinuating that I've heard you, Nate, and that I'm listening, right? It's a good point. A lot of people don't know how to active, actively listen. That's a, a whole other series of episodes itself. I remember... Um, I, one of my first, I know I've said this before, one of my first sales jobs was at Best Buy selling computers. And one of the guys I worked with, man, he was so bad. Like he would go through like the scripted questions that he learned like day one, like, Hey, what are you looking to use a computer for? And, uh, you know, Hey, do you, you know, do you store a lot of pictures? Like, you know, the, the stuff to figure out what, what kind of computer they need, what kind of memory storage, stuff like that. Yeah. 
and they would be talking. He'd be like, yep, yep, yep. And then he cut them off and go right to the next question. And it's like, then you get like argumentative with them about stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> you might, well, you might exactly be right. listening, but you're not yeah. always actually listening. Because there, there's three different types of listening. And the one he's practicing is listening to respond, right? Like, think about it like this. Is that what it's called? The, the technical... Uh, honestly, I don't know exactly what it is, but I mean, um, it, it sounds, I mean, it's pretty accurate. Well, yeah. I mean, cause where he's at is they were in their most superficial level of listening, right? That's when yeah. somebody says something, for instance, about baseball and you jump in and you just start talking about baseball, right? Then there is listening for information. That's when you show curiosity about someone, but your questions are about collecting like factual data. So like prospecting, it's when you're just hitting them with question after question about like their shipping operations. Yeah. That's really more about like him and his interests, right. And his agenda. And then you get to the third, which is like the deepest level of listening, which is listening for experiences, right? That's when you're genuinely listening for their feelings, their motivations and their values. That's the kind of listening that is more than just hearing, right? It's paying attention and really striving to understand what that person is saying and why they're saying it. Right. And I will say that the further down that spectrum you go from, you know, the first example we had to the second, to the one that you just explained, the further you can go towards that listening for an experience or for experience or whatever you called it. I think that builds the highest level of connection and rapport between you and the prospect on the other end of the phone. Because they're going to feel 100%. like oh, this person actually cared. Like they actually give a shit. They're not just, I got trucks. Give yep. me your freight. And it's, it shows that you're not simply just listening for something you want to talk about or something you can offer advice on. We're trying to think of something smart to say in response so that you can feel important, right? Because it's not about your agenda. This is a level of engagement that's about helping the other person understand what they're talking about and where they're trying to get to, right? You're facilitating this conversation, right? You shouldn't necessarily be directing it or controlling it. You're getting them to talk more and you're kind of along for the ride. Like you pointed out, listening and genuinely building trust along the way to hear what's important to the person you're talking to, not your agenda. So, Everything we just outlined in the last 20 minutes or whatnot, um, how do we apply this, right? Because it's great to like, cool, I have to be able to have small talk, but how can you, I guess kind of two things. Number one is how can you work on it? We already gave you a couple of tips, right? Talk to someone <laughs> random, right? Even when you're in line at the grocery store, talk to the person behind you or whatever. You know what I mean? I think or, every day, I think ways that you can practice this is that you should every day look for one person that you're going to interact with that you normally wouldn't, right? Yeah. Whether it's somebody in the elevator, whether it's like in my building, when we pick up the mail at the mail room, interacting with somebody else, whether it's at a grocery store or whether it's just standing in line for something, find a way to get out of your comfort zone and start practicing this. Because like anything else in life, if you want to get better at it, it's only going to come from repetition. I think yeah. that's one of the big takeaways. And if you have some of that like fear of rejection that they're going to think you're weird, you just, you've really, really, really got to learn to not let that blind you. And I mean, there's no easy way to say that and you have to get over, but how do you get over that is you have to kind of mute or ignore that voice in the back of your head. That's telling you, Hey, this makes me feel uncomfortable to talk to this person. Um, but yeah, I think it's good to exercise that muscle and 
There's a really great way to overcome a part of that. And I'm going to actually like read this verbatim, right? Because it talks about social norms and reframes, which is Mm -hmm. also kind of how we handle objections. So it says in many places, for many reasons, it's become a social norm and social norms are really powerful. This is why um, they suggest a foolproof method that doesn't just violate that norm, that norm where you don't talk to the other person. And it says that if you openly acknowledge that you're violating that social norm, you can get through it. So, for instance, they said, think about imagining riding public transportation in New York City. They said, which is the last base and anybody would ever talk to a stranger. Now, they said, let's say there's somebody that does strike you as interesting. You can't just turn to that person and say, hey, why do I find you interesting? Because if you said that, they'd look at you like you're an oddball, right? (laughs) So what they say is they said, you should try something that has its basis in neuro-linguistic programming, which is called reframing the possible negative thoughts of others. In essence, what you're doing is redefining their expectations for the interaction to come. So ordinarily, we might be really weary of a stranger if they just start talking to us out of nowhere because we don't know who they are or what they want or whether they're right in their head. What a preframe does is reassure them that you know all of this. And to do it, what you do is you acknowledge right out of the gate that this is a violation of social norm. And you say something like, hey, look, I know we're not supposed to talk to people on the subway, but because what this does is it demonstrates that you're in full possession of all of your mental faculties, right? You're not erratic. You're not disturbed or otherwise in some way. But it also helps alleviate the other person with the possibility that you're going to start a connection. And then once you establish that, you follow up with that preframe and you say something like, hey, I really like your sunglasses, for instance. Then you can follow up with a justification like, hey, I just lost mine and I was looking for a new pair because that justification erases erases all that person's suspicion. And what was funny, why this struck me is this happened to me at a restaurant. I was there with my wife, my daughter, and my son a couple of weeks ago. And at a table, like four feet away or whatever the social distancing is for the table, right? This woman said that to me. We were eating outside. And she out of nowhere said like, where did you get those sunglasses? And when you're at dinner, like it seemed kind of odd, right? Like you almost don't know how to respond at first because you're like engaged with your own little social circle at your table. And I looked and I didn't want to be rude. And she immediately says, I really like those. I was shopping for new sunglasses. My husband just lost his and I liked those. Where did you get them? And immediately it started a conversation. And when I read this, I'm like, that is exactly why it didn't seem odd. If she would have just stopped there, I probably would have been like, okay, thanks. And just like went back to what I was doing. Right. Yep. And it's exactly why, because you don't really know their motives. And she didn't tell me, but once she did, I opened up and it was comfortable and we got that common ground and we could have started a conversation from there. So the real question is, where did you get the sunglasses? I ordered them, but (laughs) (laughs) I gave her a couple of suggestions on some local places that had some, but regardless, like it is one of those ways, like this woman absolutely initiated a conversation from almost across the room to another party having dinner, completely not paying attention to them at all. And it works. Like it, it does. How we can implement more of this in prospecting, honestly, is I'm trying to think about different ways daily on ways to practice this. Other than talking to strangers, what other some ways that you could think that people can get better at this? So, I mean, I did, some people disagree with the whole sports thing, but when it's football season, I know who I'm calling, where they are, and I get right into like 
So are you a whatever fan? Like mm-hmm. you guys got stomped yesterday or whatever, you know, or, or yeah. Hey, you're, how do you feel about playing so-and-so this week? So, you know, and a lot of times if you've done some research on LinkedIn or whatnot, you could tell if someone's a fan of a certain sport or a certain team or whatever. Um, I also, I'm a huge fan of, so being from Buffalo, I feel like Buffalo gets crapped on for our weather a lot. So I like to, um, Point out when it's nice. ma- make fun of myself when I call people and I'm like, Oh, it's like, so you're, uh, you know, how's it going? You know, I'm assuming you're not getting three feet of snow right now, like me in Buffalo. <laughs> so, you know, I'll just mm-hmm. kind of make jokes and, you know, kind of make them laugh at me versus anything else. I think it's a, it's an easy way to, to break the ice and kind of make somebody else giggle a little bit. It uh, is. I think, man, it just, it is so, it really just depends on the situation. I think as long as you, the more you do it to the, the more ways you'll find to do this. Um, I don't think I've ever kind of, ran into a situation where I couldn't think of anything to say. Um, although there are some people that they just have no interest in small talk. And I personally, I don't, I don't have interest in working with people like that. Um, if I can avoid it. Right. Well, I think the more I'd thought about this too, over the past week or so is we've covered a lot of these things. And I think this brings it together, right? When we suggest when you're pulling your prospects together to group them together, why that works is because you are slowly finding commonalities within that industry that you're using on your next prospecting call, right? When we cover prospecting with a purpose, what that really is, is setting up your prospecting time in a way that you strategically start to learn what is a commonality of these individuals in this industry, whether it's steel coils and their common problem is they're not secured correctly or that they have road debris that jumps up and will put dents in a coil. And if they're thin gauge, like that's an issue, whatever it is, you will learn this through your conversations. If you group them together, maybe it's produce and there's a common issue that they're all having with what's coming out of there. Whatever that is, if you group them together, you're more likely to find that commonality. Yeah. And I think um, if you're, like you said, if your small talk is industry related, it serves more than just to be small talk. It's also, you're kind of flipping over rocks, finding your little gold nuggets um, to qualify that person and see if it's a good fit. So It is. And it's also showing that like you kind of know what you're talking about, right? You're yep. in it. You're in the mix. You're talking, you're engaging with your customers. You're actively participating in the market, right? That Absolutely. all shows that you're actually doing the job, right? It does. So any final thoughts on small talk? I've got a couple of uh, Q&A questions here today to, before we wrap it up, but any, uh, any final th- thoughts on it? I think the biggest takeaway is like anything else, if you want to get better at this, you've got to practice it. Practice it wherever you are, wherever you're going, you're likely to start running into people now that we're at the very least coming out of post-pandemic America, I guess. Yeah. So, and to piggyback off of that, practicing it, if you don't, like if you're uncomfortable making cold calls or making small talk and practicing these things. If you're not going to get over that hurdle, then the sales side of it is, is just really, really probably not a good fit for you. And if you still enjoy the industry, you may want to look at other portions of brokerage like operations, although you're still going to be dealing with carriers. So, I mean, there's still, there's still a lot of, you're still going to talk. You just don't necessarily have to push through the awkward conversation starters because in operations, you already have the thing you're talking about. Like, Hey, we've got a load. Can you move it? Hey, this is the, like, this is really more for the salespeople that are out there generating business that need to have cold conversations. 
Yeah, absolutely. So good stuff. Uh, Q&A here, but first let's give a shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. So you can check out the link in the show notes, leangroup.com. We'll have Trey Griggs on for our centennial episode next week. And uh, we're actually just about to launch our new website that Lean has done. And we're likely going to be uh, working with them on another one of their divisions, which is their marketing division. Um, So whether it's marketing, tech, sales, staffing, as your brokerage grows and you need additional help. You only have two arms, right? So you can only hold one phone and type on one keyboard, right? As that volume grows and you need to take some of those tasks off your plate to focus on your, your, um, you know, revenue producing or profit producing roles, lean can really help you out, especially on their staffing side. They've got back office folks, they've got account managers, they've got dispatchers. And again, they can do everything from marketing your company to the tech design for websites and things like, like that. So check them out. Link in the show notes. It's leangroup.com. All right. So three questions today. The first one, and this, you know, obviously load boards are pieces of software and TMSs are pieces of software and anything can go wrong with a piece of software at one point or another. So whether your TMS is down and you can't use the rating tools or a load board's rating tool is um, down or you don't have a license for it, right? Because, you know, a lot of times it's, it's an add-on. The question is, how can I quote without using rating software? So, um, Ben, I'm curious what your take is on this. So, let's say you don't have access to any kind of like rate view, rate mate, your TMS, any of that. How would you go about getting a rate for a customer? Honestly, I, if the brokerage isn't big enough to be able to look at your own lane history, and I mean, honestly, I don't think, I don't know that there's a brokerage big enough that you can quote anything without lane software right now. I genuinely don't. I mean, I think even if you have it, to be honest, it's difficult in this market. So my, the other side of this is I would, instead of just call carriers, I'd call carriers. That was going to be my answer. And um, I know I kind of pitched that in a way that was like, Hey, how do I hammer this in hell and without a hammer? Right. You can't, but there's other ways to do it. Maybe you've got um, maybe someone next door has a hammer. You can go ask them. Right. So yeah, call carriers directly. Right. But But here's the TMS is down. Here's the caveat. I guess you don't have their phone numbers. Um, But that's my favorite way is to actually talk to carriers. Just do that. Agreed. Especially like if you've got stuff that's like heavy haul and stuff that you can quote. The thing I will caution you is, is if you get a quote from a carrier that may be vastly different than what you're going to pay if you post a load up for a truck. And it is definitely going to be different than what you would pay calling out to get a truck. Um, And you just need to be cognizant of what you're quoting and what you're going to try to get later. Yep. Agreed. Uh, and again, I think you'll gain, there's a experience brings with it, you know, the, you kind of get second, you have second nature when it comes to certain markets and times of year, you'll know, you may not know the exact rate, but you'll know, Hey, if I go into Florida in, you know, February versus May versus August versus November, you're going to have different, you know, there's different stuff going on with produce seasons and you're going to have Uh, different rate requirements there. So, all right. Uh, Number two, I love this one. When should I fire a customer? And by firing, and I think we have to do an episode on this because this is is so cool. Customer attrition. You know, I I always say if you're going to, 
if something that seems potentially negative is going to happen, it's best to do it on your own terms. So if you're going to get, if you're going to lose a customer, you might as well lose them on your terms, AKA get rid of that customer. Right. And Ben, we talked about this. There's probably, you know, 20% of anyone's book of business at some point should be, you should look at them to replenish those customers and, you know, let that attrition happen, let them go and refill them with better customers. Yeah, that's exactly it. I, I think the one thing is, don't fire them if you need them. I mean, you need to have enough other customers that losing them wouldn't be financially. An Unless issue you're for already you. losing money on the customer. Yes. One is if they're not profitable, then, and you've been working with them for months, I would say after a two or three months and you're not profitable, like at your break even, they need to be let go regardless. And there if, are shippers like that. And they know that new yes, brokers will come and replace the old broker that got rid of them. In they, fact, that's all they do. They bought. know that there's some shippers that only work with new brokers because they know they can beat them up on margins and then they just churn them. And the way they and the reason they can do that is they know that and they constantly hire people that are managing all of their brokers and they know yep. it's a nightmare. And you and can usually find that out. And that freight is typically um I don't want to call it durable. It's stuff that's not easily damaged and yes. it's not time sensitive. Right? Lower risk freight. Very low risk. Yeah. Yes. But you should. I mean, even if you have customers that are profitable, if you can find a better customer, which anybody, everybody should always be doing as they grow their book and as you kind of groom it a little bit, right? You should be looking at how can I get better? And you only have so much Time. Time yourself, right? So this is where you maybe what you'll do is if you hire somebody, you can pass off one of those lower customers to someone that's newer to manage as they learn. And then you can focus on growing a newer customer that's better for your book of business. I always would try to look at scale. I mean, I don't want to go super deep into this because we should do an episode, but I always look at like, I have a limited resource of time. And if one of my customers is eating up so much of it that I can't get the prospecting, that's the customer I'm trying to get rid of quickly because yep. I know my opportunity cost is killing me. I'm not able to go get new customers. This one is costing me more than the money I'm not making. I'm going to, I'm going to um, relate this to today's topic on small talk. There are some customers that the negative part of them is that they have yes. way too much small talk and not enough business. Yep. And dude, there's agents like that, that I've worked with that, you know, Sometimes you just got to let them go because they're not producing and it's not personal. It's just, you know, it doesn't make business sense to, to maintain them, but they may, you know, maybe it's a, if it's a customer that moves two loads a month with you, but they spend and you call them, you know, it's going to be at least an hour phone call, right? Yep. Not worth your time. Not worth your time. So, all right. Last one, are shipper broker agreements necessary? So, um, a shipper broker agreement would be the contract that states the terms between the shipping company, so your customer, and then you as the broker. So depending on who you ask, you might get a different answer here. I will tell you that they're not legally required, okay? Um, some customers will just give you their contract and you have to agree to their terms, so make sure you read it. There's a middle ground there. A lot of brokerage companies will have a credit application and that will state the basic terms right in the credit app, and that will be sufficient. I will tell you, there are brokers out there that if they can get enough public information on a company, they're not going to make them execute a credit application or any kind of contract, as long as the customer doesn't require one either. And it's not illegal. 
there is risk that goes to it and it's all about your comfort level. Ben, what do you think? Same. You don't need one. You can move freight without it because freight law follows the freight. Once it's put on the truck, they're legally obligated to pay you. There are some safeguards built into it, but the reality is, is you're basically agreeing to any type of pay term on any type of time frame, yep. whenever they feel like, I mean, none of the other important things are outlined. So yes, they legally would still have to pay you, but honestly, best practices is you should have them in every case. And if you can move a load, honestly, I know brokers that will take a load and move it because that's the quickest way to get onboarded. But very quickly after you should have a contract in place. Yeah. And I will say you brought pay, you know, payment terms, right? So, you know, 30 day terms, for example, means the customer has to pay their invoice within 30 days of receiving the invoice. If you don't have a credit application or a contract that states that an easy way to reiterate that is to put it in an email and document it, right? Hey, um, just make sure you understand where we got to set up on, you know, I'm going to give you 25K in credit on, we're on net 30, which means you got to pay your full amount in 30 days. And they can just respond, received and agreed. Yep. And it works. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, on the other side, a broker carrier agreement um, or like a rate confirmation, I would never go without one of those. Always have one of those. And I saw that in our Facebook group earlier this week, somebody, a carrier said, Hey, a broker lied to me about the rate. And then I backdoored and started working with a shipper directly weeks later. And everybody on there was like, well, first off, how does somebody lie about a rate? And nobody really got an answer because I'm assuming that's what happened. They moved a load with no rate con and then- No rate con or no broker yeah. care. Usually your rate con is going to have your rate on there and your broker care agreement is going to state no back solicitation in there. So, whew, it's but crazy. There's, man, there's reasons. Uh, the amount of- New broker, or I shouldn't say just new, inexperienced brokers and inexperienced carriers that are out there doing business like this. That's wild. So, but noteworthy, I guess. So. Yep. Good questions. Good questions. Hey, if you, uh, if you guys aren't aware already, make sure you check out our freight broker basics course, or maybe recommend it to somebody that you think may need a little bit of, uh, fine tuning of the brokerage skills. There's a link in the show notes and also uh, our group coaching sessions. They're twice a month. We're, we're doing them on Tuesday afternoons right now. And we talk about whatever the, the group has in mind. And, you know, a lot of times we'll bring up certain topics that we think are relevant, but the conversation goes wherever it goes. And we've got nothing but great feedback so far from those that are joining. And if you sign up for the course, you get a free month of group coaching. So check it out for sure. Um, new website should be dropping very, 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 very soon. I think we have maybe a couple more tweaks, but uh, I love the way it looks. It's going to be searchable. So if you're like, hey, I want to, you know, I want to see everything that Ben and Nate have on prospecting, you can search in, find our blogs, YouTube videos, our podcast episodes. This is like a game changer of just free information. Huge. So stay tuned for that. And it's still the same website, freight360.net. Just uh, going to be you know, transitioning from our old WordPress site to our newly launched website that uh, Lean Solutions Group has helped us out with. So anything else? Any, any uh, other hot topics, Ben? No, we're going to be doing episode 100 with Trey next week. We're going to have, we're going to be doing an episode with Chris Jolly, the freight coach, I believe in August, we're going to be doing another episode with Blythe. And if you missed it, Nate was on freight waves, I believe yesterday airing, it will be three days prior, but 
Regardless, the most recent episode of Put That Coffee Down, Nate covered with Kevin Hill and Richie Daigle how to become an agent and what are the things you need to look at when transitioning from W-2 to 1099. Yeah. And yours also, you did a few weeks ago, all about growing a sustainable book of business. And the... Uh, you and I should both be doing an audio only podcast with Kevin Hill uh, in the coming weeks to dig even deeper into the 1099 independent contract. Realm. So stay tuned. A lot of good stuff. It's great to be connected with all the other great freight brokering mentors, coaches, and experts that are out there. It's such a good community. We appreciate everybody. So any final thoughts, Ben? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net. 360.net.